I am Bo Ellis Breedlove, and this is the June Bug. Welcome to Episode 6 of Season 2 of The June Bug. Last week, Birdie shared with us her experience of living on the grounds of the Shamawa Indian School when she was a young girl. She told the story of her first true love, a Native American boy she knew as George. She also spoke of his disappearance. For decades, Bertie has cherished the only items she has left from her romance, the scarab beetle bracelet and the poem. Now, Bertie is comforted by them as midnight has come and gone, and it is the beginning of her final day. Details in the story, such as names and places, have been altered or fictionalized to preserve privacy. Episode 6 1.30 a.m. Get the house ready. The mantel clock awoke and began its hourly procession of chimes and dancing porcelain figurines. Still, it raced Bertie to her final hour. It told twice for the second hour of the day. Bertie contemplated the significance of that tolling. If she was to have her way, and all went to plan, then this would be the last time she would hear a clock toll for two. Seven hours were all that separated Luella Bertie Pierce from the moment when she intended on taking 
the fatal pharmaceutical cocktail. Much like the anxiety one experiences before leaving on a trip, going on a vacation, Bertie began to worry about ensuring that everything was done in time. There was still so much she wanted to have in order, so that when the morning came, all would go smoothly, peacefully. Niccolo was there to ensure this happened. It could be mere days before this household, Bertie's home, would be in the hands of the church, and if her wishes were to be respected, it would be the new home for the small appointment of nuns that service the church and its schools. Bertie had already removed the vast majority of her personal items, such as photographs, collecting them in shoeboxes and on tabletops that now cluttered Niccolo's room. They would be his to disperse of and distribute. Everything else filling the modest home would become the property of the Catholic Church. Bertie was cautiously optimistic of her wishes being respected. She had been given assurances multiple times by Father Prentice that the church would respect her request. Her home would become the new residence for their nuns. With that in mind, Bertie directed Niccolo over the preceding weeks to make sure that the house was ready. Niccolo saw to collecting the photographs and personal mementos from a life well lived, after which he went about hanging the collection of crucifixes and religious paraphernalia his aunt had been ordering from Catholic catalogs for the past few years. In place of the large, ornate mantel clock, the living room fireplace was now guarded over by a large, intricately carved and painted statue of the crowned Virgin Mary standing on the serpent. A crucifix was positioned over every doorway and above each bed. Assortments of devotional candles graced the tops of the credenza and various other elevated surfaces throughout the house. There were no personal photos. There were no images of family on happy vacations. The house had been sanitized of Bertie's identity. Bertie had asked Niccolo to see to it that her records and her few remaining personal items were packed away and taken with him after she departed this life. Dutifully, Niccolo had already begun packing away the records that had been played the previous night. Still, at least 40 more remained as Niccolo continued their uninterrupted play. 
few items remained on Bertie's list of events for her final hours. The next listed would not be crossed off until 7 a.m. Father Prentice's visit to deliver last rites. Not wanting to slip back into slumber, Bertie busied herself with coming up with tasks for Niccolo to complete. Niccolo, let's, let's get the house ready. People will be coming in a few hours. Niccolo set to the chore. He dusted frames and figurines, polished the wood furniture. He went about mopping the kitchen and bathroom floors, vacuuming the bedrooms and the living room, washing the walls of the hallway that were still marred from walkers and wheelchairs. As he went about his chores, Niccolo noticed something he hadn't before. Bertie had a matching set of teal blue Auric brand house appliances. A vacuum, floor polisher, iron, ironing board, hand mop, etc. All in this matching color from Auric. Niccolo chuckled to himself about the observation. He found it rather cute, endearing, that his aunt would have this matching set of household items. Insignificant though it might be, he inquired about it, asking Bertie when she got all this. After all, it was not often that someone had such a broad selection of matching cleaning items such as this. Bertie laughed at the question and replied simply, It was a wedding gift from my last husband. Bertie paused for a moment before adding, Well, I suppose he's still my husband, kind of. This revelation perplexed Niccolo, prompting him to ask, I thought your last husband was the one you divorced from Memphis. Oh, heavens no, Bertie corrected him, letting out a light chuckle. I've been married a few times, even since then, though briefly. Niccolo wasn't sure how to respond. Bertie saw the confusion. I guess I haven't told you about my most recent husband. Are you a writer or an artist? Do you need help bringing your creative vision to life? Breedlove Creative Enterprises specializes in content editing and production for artists and authors. We work together to create new and unique media that will capture your audience. Visit bebreedlove.com to view BCE's client portfolio and schedule a free consultation. You don't have to go it alone. Trust Breedlove Creative Enterprises to make your project a success.
Breedlove Creative Enterprises is proud to produce The Junebug. Memphis had proven to be life-changing for Birdie in more ways than one. She established herself with a career and became a force within the budding music industry. She had remarried, making a new life with the music producer she met in the studio. But she had also lost contact with her two children losing them to resentments and decades of mistruths. When Bertie's time in Memphis finally came to a close in the mid-1960s, she was divorced and once again found herself without family. The divorce settlement from a short-lived marriage gave her a modest sum with which she planned on making a new life somewhere else. After debate, Bertie decided her new home would be in a place somewhat comparable to Memphis, but far enough away that she could start afresh. She chose Reno, Nevada. In Reno, Bertie quickly found work continuing her photography and aligning herself with a handful of music studios. There, she photographed artists for album covers and promotional materials. Once more, Bertie met a music producer with whom she fell into another hurried romance. They were married and divorced within two years. Reno quickly lost its luster as Bertie once more packed up and this time moved to Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, Bertie made a new life for herself yet again. She became a fixture in the nightclubs and within the music scene. Her work as a photographer during the day took her to the clubs at night she photographed performers for local newspapers and magazines. As she was in most places, Bertie was adored and quickly surrounded by friends and companions. It was in one of these nightclubs on the Strip that she befriended a band leader, Ronnie. The two were ideally matched, though not romantically, more as friends, companions. They understood one another. Their time spent together was effortless, smooth, easy. They just got along perfectly. Soon, the duo was inseparable. Bertie parlayed her divorce settlement and modest savings into a home purchase on North Las Vegas Boulevard. It was a short drive from the nightclubs and the studios that she worked in. 
her home gradually became the center of the local Las Vegas social scene. She hosted parties, cocktail gatherings, and album releases almost weekly. There, she lived happily for many years, Ronnie coming and going as a fixture in her array of companions. Twenty-five years would pass before Bertie propositioned Ronnie. She reasoned they were both getting older now, and neither had found a lasting romance. Both feared growing old alone and being without someone by their side. So, Bertie asked Ronnie if he wanted to get married. It would be more for security and companionship than really anything romantic. The two were wed in a chapel on the Vegas Strip in the spring of 1994. They shared decades together in Bertie's Boulevard home as the city around them continued to grow and prosper. By the time Bertie was in her early 80s, the Las Vegas Strip had grown up to surround her home. Casinos and clubs flanked either side of the pink abode. Many of their industry friends had moved on or passed away, and the duo found themselves engulfed by a new modern city that wasn't the idyllic escape they had once loved. It was at this time that Bertie first started entertaining the idea of returning to Walla Walla. It was an idea that Ronnie was adamantly against. The two rarely fought, but this subject divided them. Bertie was convinced it was the right decision, and Ronnie's hesitancy would not move her. The summer before Bertie's 85th birthday, she found a home for sale in Walla Walla that suited her needs. She came to Ronnie now with a new proposition. They would have their marriage dissolved. The house, still in Bertie's name, would be sold. The value had skyrocketed since she first bought the modest home. She reasoned, from the sale of the house, they would make enough money to set them both up comfortably in new lives. Ronnie would move to a retirement community nearby. Bertie would make sure he was taken care of. She would buy the house in Walla Walla. Bertie felt a tight pit in her stomach as she shared the story with Niccolo. She questioned if she had done the right thing, leaving Ronnie behind. In the years since, she had realized 
what a special friend he was. Though the two were never intimate, he had always been by her side for the past few decades. He was always there. Being alone in Walla Walla, Bertie had wished she may have convinced him, tried harder to help him change his mind so that he would have joined her. The two had stayed in frequent contact, but when Bertie received her terminal cancer diagnosis, she couldn't bring herself to tell him. She didn't know how to tell him. And so, she avoided it. It was an avoidance that led to unanswered phone calls and unreturned voice messages. Bertie did not even know if Ronnie was still alive. Niccolo, I should try to call him. It is the middle of the night, Niccolo reminded. Bertie didn't care. She thought, if he wakes up, wonderful. If he doesn't, that's fine too. Niccolo dialed the number penned in Bertie's address book and passed her the phone. It rang twice before an automated message said the number was invalid. Bertie was disappointed but unfazed by the incident, passing the phone back to Niccolo and saying, he'll be fine without me and if he's already gone, Maybe I'll see him again soon. Niccolo thumbed through the master closet. It was a small sampling of Bertie's best clothes from the past three decades. They were dominated by matching pantsuits in pastels with complementary satin blouses. That one, that one, Bertie said as Niccolo presented a pale lavender ensemble. That, that's the one I want to wear. Niccolo smiled and agreed with the selection, taking it to the other room to iron. The mantel clock told 4 a.m. Bertie knew it was only 3.30, but she felt the weight of her final hours pressing down on her. The last time she would hear a clock toll for four. Alone, Disturbed only by the sound of Marilyn Monroe on the record player and the soft hissing of the iron Nico was using, Bertie thought of the approaching hour of her death. A sense of preparedness quickly fled as she mused on the possibility that there may be nothing after death. No heaven, no 
endless dreamscape, just an abyss of black nothingness. If that were the case, Bertie thought to herself, does she still want to do this? If there is nothing after this life, is she still making the right decision? Yes. Bertie was ready. This life had offered her everything she could get from it, and what remained would be pain, suffering, disease, incapacitation, a life of stagnation. Bertie was ready for adventure. She was ready for whatever lay beyond the horizon. She was ready to see the unseen. The June Bug is produced by Breedlove Creative Enterprises. Original music composed by Bo Ellis Breedlove. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can also help support this podcast and the June Bug Project by becoming a supporting member on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash the June Bug. Thank you for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Stay tuned for the next installment of The June Bug.